Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we talk about how you, as a female runner, may adapt your training and food plans to support hormonal balance and overall running performance. This is certainly a topic I wish I'd known more about when I was younger, and we really hope it will help you at whatever stage you are in your life and your menstrual cycle. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everybody, welcome. I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen. Um, Before we get um, started on today's topic, we're going to do our usual and just share a little bit about what's going on in our personal lives and our running lives. So Karen, we're recording this um, at the beginning of 2021 and uh, at a time where here in the UK we've moved into lockdown number three, uh, which uh, feels a bit daunting. Um, so the festive season was rather different this year as a result of um, the lockdown and the coronavirus. And I'm wondering if that made any differences to your approach to food and nutrition and your run training over the festive season, Karen. Yes, well, hi everybody. Nice to be back again, and um, and I think your questions are really good, one, Aileen. Um, I think regarding my nutrition, I would probably say yes. It has it has changed um, this year because um, I was really conscious that the amount of incidental activity um, that I'm currently doing is much less than usual so in other words although my training I think is really similar to the to, to what it is generally at this time of year but my overall daily movement is much less than it normally is I'm sitting so much more than than I used to do so thinking about the festive season and and um, my eating patterns I had to bear this in mind when I was making my food choices um over Christmas and I love Christmas food um especially the likes of um, mince pies and Christmas cake which clearly I've got to be careful with anyway but I do enjoy that those Christmas foods and um during that first lockdown, which is almost a year ago now, actually, Aileen, which is uh, is, is amazing. Um, yes, I did gain a little bit of weight during that time, and I've managed to reduce it. Um, so I really didn't want to gain it again, um, as it does. I do, I do find that it does really affect my performance, especially at my age. Um, so I did. I didn't deprive myself because I don't actually um, believe in in deprivation and removing any any food groups or anything from the diet but what I did do was manage my intake each day so um so I would just have smaller portions than maybe I I would would have had in the past but what that does mean is that I am still enjoying small amounts of some of the Christmas foods you know I've actually still got a really big Christmas cake and I'm only giving myself a really small slice um every day or every other day so um so i suppose that is one of the benefits of of managing portion size is that the foods last longer so so those would be the ch- conscious changes that i made this year regarding um food intake besides other years but how about you Aileen? did this sort of christmas with a difference res- result in uh, differences to your food choices and exercise regime 
Um, yeah, well, I suppose the main difference is there's been much less socialising, um, so or hardly any socialising, in fact. Mm-hmm. So not as many temptations on the food and the alcohol front. And, um, you know, often during the Christmas period, you're visiting other people and, you you know, people are having you as a guest. So you're really having to have what they offer you rather than necessarily what you're choosing. Um, so I think that, that probably a lot of people have found that, that um, – you know, they, they've enjoyed, you know, the main Christmas Day and um, maybe New Year, but not so many of the other things. Um, what I've really noticed, because it's been really, really icy weather here, is that I've only been able to do a few very short runs when I've felt it's safe, uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a bit risk averse to running on ice. Um, but I've done loads of walks, um, quite a lot of like 10 mile type distance walks in different local places um there were a few lunchtime treats on the hills again going out walking with friends you know people bring food along so you you find yourself really enjoying a slice of christmas cake or something like that um what i did do was as soon as we got to um the first of january i decided that i wasn't going to have any alcohol during january um so i'm aiming to do dry january and i've never done that before because bit like you I just sort of think everything in moderation but I just felt it's one thing that I could actually make a change with um because again I think lockdown we've all been you know it's so easy just to keep having a glass of wine every night or more um so that that's been my focus and it's not easy I have to say there's been a couple of nights where I thought I could just really love a red glass of red wine but I've not done it um so, yeah, that we're sort of halfway through the month. So, yeah, I think that's quite good. Yeah. Um, and I am quite focused on my food plan uh, at the moment um, and portion sizes. I think that you mentioned that. I think that's really key. Um, and I'm desperate to get some regular training in. Um, but it is very much, you know, I look out the window and I see what the weather's like. And if it's dangerous, I just don't do it. So, um yeah, that, that's, you know, I think we're all, I think probably the one benefit of lockdown is that maybe we're coming into January in a slightly healthier way um, from a lifestyle point of view than, than otherwise, um, assuming that we've all, you know, escaped COVID. Yes. You know, that some people haven't been fortunate in that area. So, so that's sort of a little bit looking back and setting the scene for how we're getting on with January. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let's move on and, and outline today's topic, which is all about uh, menstrual cycle and running performance and particularly thinking about how you manage your menstrual cycle. And we're, we're featuring this topic today in a response to a request by one of our, our followers, Lillian Garnier. Um, and Lillian sent us an email, which we really appreciated um, towards the end of December. And she was asking... Um, would we feature this topic? She thought it would be really interesting to find out how nutrition could support her running performance throughout the menstrual cycle and other runners uh, like her. And it is a fascinating subject. Uh, however, it is a subject where research is currently lacking. Um, we've, we've, there is some information out there. Um, some of the studies aren't of the best quality, um, but we've pulled together quite a lot of information to share with you today. Um, So what we're going to share is give you an overview of the scientific thinking around the subject of the menstrual cycle and and athletics performance. Uh, We're going to discuss um, current research on potential performance effects. Some of those are positive, some of them are negative. Uh, We're going to touch on the impact of of, um, oral contraception on performance. And finally, we're going to look at some food and nutrition ideas to support running performance throughout the menstrual cycle. So quite a lot. It's going to be quite broad brush because it's a big subject and um, we're going to give you an overview and maybe it's something we can delve into a bit deeper in other future episodes. Um, But before we go into the science, Karen, I think it might be a really good idea by just defining what would be a normal menstrual cycle, uh, normal being in inverted commas because uh, normal is different for everybody. Um, so, what would you? How would you define it, Karen? 
Well, interestingly, the, the basis, which is the British Association of Sport Exercise Sciences, have they have a really detailed scientific description. Um, but really to turn that into layman or, or laywoman terms, um, normal, as you say in inverted commas, Aileen, is described as being sort of a regular uh, repeating pattern of menstruation over that 20-day 28-day cycle. Now, many women may experience variables to that cycle, which may influence women having a cycle lasting um, as little as 21 days or up to as much as 35 days. So it is quite variable. And in the simplest terms, that menstrual cycle can be divided into two phases. So there's the follicular phase, which occurs before ovulation, and then the luteal phase, which is then occurring after ovulation. So that's the simplest way of putting it, Aileen. Great. That's really, that really yeah, helps, Karen, because as you say, some of the scientific explanations or definitions can be quite wordy. Um, so that, that gives us a really good idea about what a normal cycle should present as. Um, but it also um, introduces the idea that we're all individuals and everybody's slightly different. Um, and, and just sort of expanding upon the two phases that you mentioned, um, there are uh, various hormonal fluctuations between these phases and and they're commonly sort of split into four areas four phases i would i would suggest um so the first phase is the early follicular phase and this is like from day one to day seven day one being the first day of your period and during that phase uh, we tend to have low estrogen and progesterone uh, and then we move into um, the ovulatory days, which is sort of around about uh, days 14 and, and 15. And that's where our hormones um, change and we, we or the, the volume of hormones change. So we've got medium level estrogen and low progesterone. Um, and then we move into the luteal phase, which was the second phase that you mentioned, Karen. Um and there's, you know, that lasts for quite a few days. So from about day 16 to up to days 20 to 22. And within that period, we tend to have um, a higher progesterone and, and higher estrogen. And then finally, there's the premenstrual days, which tend to be days 22 to 28. Now, it's interesting because before I knew anything about the cycle, and I always think it's amazing that as women, we're not really taught this at school, are we? Nobody really explains what's going on. Maybe they do now, but certainly when I was at school, nobody went into the detail as much. But I always would have thought that the premenstrual days were the beginning of your period because that's when you know it's going to happen. But actually, that's the end of the cycle. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it's interesting just to think of it. And it is a cycle. It's not a straight line. It's a cycle that goes around all the time. Um, so, uh yeah, that's just a, a sort of an overview of, of what's happening in our bodies hormonally. Yeah, and I think it's it's really great that you've outlined that, Aileen, because it also shows the fluctuations of the the hormones during that cycle. And these are natural fluctuations; they they have to happen; they're meant to happen. So, um, so I think it's really good that you've that you've brought that aspect in. But the menstrual cycle um, can affect women in many ways linking to their emotions and um, also the training ability and performance potentially it can also lead to a drive to eat certain food groups so you know for some people at certain times of the month they, they, they experience cravings it can have um, a huge impact for some people on energy levels and also body composition at certain times of the the cycle as well and and many women do tend to suffer from um, particular symptoms, including um, sort of the, the menstrual pains, the cramps, the bloating, flow of blood loss as well. For some people, it's quite minimal, but for others, it's, it feels like a flood, which um, can be distressing for some people. And also changes in bile habit as well, from, from loose stools to also constipation. And um, and, and sort of lots of people experience uncomfortable symptoms, which can actually impact on training and our training plans and also our enjoyment of running. So it can, although it's natural, it can have huge impacts for, for certain people. Yeah, and, and I think as female runners, if we understand what's happening to us in each of these phases during a month, 
we've got an opportunity to adapt and adjust our training plans and our food plans to support hormonal balance and to support our overall running performance. And I think when we think about training, we tend to like think, well, I do the same things every week. And we don't think about how is that going to affect us during the month, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about this a bit later on in the episode, we will start thinking about how you can adapt your training at different phases of the menstrual cycle um, to support you so that you still get an overall good performance, but you've got more realistic expectations of what your body can can do. Mm. So, so Karen, thinking about... Um, you know, the sporting world and the science world, how how is the sporting world addressing these issues? And you said at the beginning that there are a, a few studies or there's not enough studies on the subject of menstrual cycle and exercise performance. Uh, but, you know, from what you've read, what what's the current scientific thinking about this topic? Well, it is interesting, Aileen, because from the research that I have read, all the researchers really conclude that more quality research is required. And in fact, basis that I mentioned earlier, in 2020, they released um, or published an expert statement um, sort of on conducting and implementing female athlete-based research. And what they concluded was, and this is in their words, At present, there are no fit-for-purpose evidence-based guidelines from high-quality peer-reviewed papers for practitioners to apply. So that's really interesting. And then they go on to say that, as every woman's cycle is different and can change across her lifespan, there might never be a universal blueprint that practitioners can exclusively use to direct training and performance, which I would agree with potentially, actually, Aileen. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Um, and and, I, and you, it's not surprising either. You know, we know that every woman's different. Um, but, you know, as we know, there are certain things that you can do that will help. Um, so I, I would say sort of in the absence of this high quality research that as nutritional therapists, we would apply our knowledge of hormonal health and then personalise uh, use the personalised information from the individual female client to help them resolve the symptoms um, that they're experiencing and maximise their run training performance. And, you know, often, um, you know, I often think, well, obviously scientific research is really important for us, but um, trying things out on, on an individual basis is also really important. And you can often, something that works can work really well for you and it's worth giving a go, giving it a go even if it's not written up in the scientific paper um so having said that we're, we're going to really look forward to the scientific community endorsing a substantial body of work which will inform our practices whenever that may happen and i, I know you know just in just in reading and listening to other podcasts it's something that a lot of female athletes uh, are calling for and i think there's maybe more of a focus on female sports now and um, so that's probably the reason why there's a drive in that direction to do that kind of research. Yeah absolutely in fact uh, I was reading an article Aileen that was saying that as and when um, the next Olympics happen it will be the first Olympics where there's the same amount of medals for women as there will be for men. And that's the first time ever. So that just shows the surge in in, in female athletes mm. and, and recognition of female athletes as well. So I thought that was really interesting to read. Um, but I think what you've just said, Aileen, is really true. It's about the personalised nutrition and us as nutritional therapists working with the individual client and in putting together a personalised um, a personalised plan, which really fits in with the way that we work generally in that functional medicine approach. Um, and what what that basis statement that I've just read out does also emphasise is the importance of female athletes monitoring monitoring their own cycles because that then empowers them to understand the cycle and how the cycle re- relates to any sort of physical and or emotional symptoms that they might experience. And their thinking is that 
it would be good for the for the individual to monitor the cycle for three months or more, maybe, to so that you can, they can deduce sort of meaningful information about their cycle patterns, and this then could potentially help um, an athlete or a runner or whoever it is um, understand why on certain days they feel better than on others, and by recognizing the patterns, this also means that they can anticipate how they may feel at certain times during the month and um and and those sort of feelings can then be exploited or overcome depending on whether they're positive or they're negative yeah and as a nutritional therapist i think having a client with this amount of self-awareness is, is really incredibly helpful in putting together a nutrition plan to support them um, so it's definitely a strategy that we would recommend and I think a really good starting point would be to create a monthly diary starting on the first day of your period and then noting down your symptoms and your training and um, possibly how you're feeling and performing on each day and that, and that would sort of build up that uh, body of information and as Karen said sort of doing that over two to three months would give you a really good insight into what's happening. And then you could discuss that with your nutritionist or your personal trainer or your run coach um, to see what, what would be best for you. Um, so, so, Karen, we've just discussed this, mens the menstrual cycle and about being self-aware of its nuances throughout the month. And um, so this might be a good idea to sort of introduce um, some ideas around the potential alterations to the normal or usual cycle so you know ideally um you know we would be aiming for the 28 day cycle um but we know every woman's different and that might change and, and as the research said that you you quoted you know that it changes throughout your life as well so it's not just going to be the same forever um so you know we we as nutritional therapists we are aiming to help women get as close to this regular 28 day cycle with each phase being optimal and symptom free that would be the ultimate aim and um you know that that's something that we should all be working towards really um so unfortunately you might be in a place where your cycle is longer or shorter and you might not even be having periods uh, and there may be medical or hormonal reasons for any of these um, different types of cycles um, but you could also you know consider that maybe it's your nutrition or your training that's influencing your cycle and the phases within um, too so you know there's a lot of different things to consider if you don't fit into that 28 day cycle yeah, absolutely, Eileen. I think that's a really great um, sort of overview that that you've given us. Um, so thank you very much for that. And and I'm just thinking, um, I'll let's do a quick recap of what we've discussed um, already before we then move on to talk about the potential running performance effects um, during that menstrual cycle. So so we started off with the de definition of what um, a normal period is and. Now, the medical term for that is eumenorrhea. So we were looking at that eumenorrheic um, cycle. Then we sort of introduced those hormonal fluctuations that occur during that menstrual cycle. And then we went on to explain that, um, that what we are aiming to do is to have that regular and optimal menstrual cycle um, to, and, and to be symptom free, but just also being aware that every woman is different. And although it, it may be a normal cycle, that cycle might vary from um, from one one woman to another. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm just having sort of a bit of a reflection here, Karen, about, you know, remembering when I was sort of in my 20s and having, um, you know, quite difficult, painful periods. And thinking now that I'm a nutritional therapist, you know, my message to young women is, sort out those kind of things when you're younger and then it's really going to support you through all of the different life stages as you get older because I can look back and think yeah I was heading towards having difficult perimenopause and menopause because I was obviously not in balance as a sort of 20 year old or 20 something so um yeah I think start young and um, make sure that everything's 
uh, in order that would be a good idea so advice there really yeah so so moving on to think about the performance effects um of the menstrual cycle how how the how what's going on in the menstrual cycle actually affects our our sporting performance our running performance is there any um conclusion from the research that you've read karen that would be helpful to know Mm. about yeah, this is really interesting, um, Aileen, because as well as the menstrual cycle potentially affecting exercise performance, it can work vice versa too. So strenuous and endurance exercise is well known to affect the menstrual cycle. So it could be one way or the other. Now, this sort of endurance exercise affecting the menstrual cycle is thought to be linked to the high energy expenditure caused by exercise, but with a concurrent low energy intake and that leading to this overall low energy availability. So basically what I'm saying is not eating enough to fuel our training may affect our menstrual cycle. And actually in extreme cases, the periods may stop, which is a serious situation to be in. Um, being, Being underweight actually is a is a really clear risk factor to having no periods um but both um sort of uh, being underweight not taking on enough energy are both really unhealthy um and having periods can interrupt our training and our race plans but we must always remember that with good nutrition and conscious planning of our training activities, we can actually be healthy female runners as well as high performing runners. So I think that's always important to to bear in mind. But it is about the balance that you were speaking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, And just as a reminder, Karen, we did discuss the topic of energy availability in episode six, when we talked about the performance effects of the overtraining syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which you know can be quite closely linked to this topic, so um, that would be a good one to go back and listen to if um, if you're interested in hearing a little bit more. Um, so, so Karen, can you carry on and tell us more more about the performance effects of the menstrual cycle? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So thinking about the performance effects um, linked to the menstrual cycle, what has come out of the little research that there is at the moment is that sort of fluctuations in body composition are thought to occur, especially during the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle. So that phase um, following ovulation. Now, this is thought to be as a result of fluid retention, and that fluid retention is caused by the high levels of progesterone during that luteal phase. And I'm sure it's something that many of us have probably experienced at some point in time during that luteal phase. Maybe not aware that they're in the luteal phase, but felt um, that feeling of, of bloating and weight gain at some point during their menstrual cycle. Now, some athletes um, that have sort of really high levels of lean body mass have been have shown um, or experienced increase in body weight of between two and 2.5 kilograms which is actually quite significant and could potentially be significant in influencing performance so it might not be the same for everybody but it's been shown certainly the leaner you are um, maybe it's just more noticeable that there is is more of a weight gain. But but what I would say really is that no matter how lean or not you may be, that fluid retention during this phase of the cycle may actually impact on your running performance. So that's that's one aspect of the influence um, of the of the cycle on performance. Secondly, estrogen itself has been shown to have a protein sparing effect. So by reducing the reliance on the amino acids, which remember are the building blocks that make up protein. So reducing the reliance of the amino amino acid utilization at the expense of an increase in fat utilization. So what this means is that less protein is being utilized at this point and more fat being utilized. And that could actually be supportive for body composition, because we if we're looking at um, fat loss, then clearly we want to be burning it. 
And linked to this as well, estrogen is um, is thought to have an anabolic effect on skeletal muscle. So in other words, really supporting that muscle building. So um, estrogen is quite quite a positive um, hormone linked to, and this is normal levels clearly of estrogen we're speaking about here, but maybe, but just remembering that the, the, the research is scarce, but maybe supportive for performance. Um, and then additionally, still speaking about estrogen, um, it, it has been shown to support the increase in fat utilization, again, by playing a role in increasing the muscle glycogen storage ability. So again, this is going to support body composition, but also potentially for a long distance runner, help with retaining glycogen levels for your running performance. So twofold there potentially. And then lastly, um, and interestingly, actually, progesterone is thought to have anti-estrogenic effects. So the opposite to estrogen. Mm. So the performance enhancements and benefits tend to be linked to the phases of the menstrual cycle when estrogen levels are naturally higher than progesterone. Is that a sort of a an overall summary, which is there, Karen? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's um, so, so it's during the the phases of the cycle when estrogen is is higher that potentially those benefits are going to be apparent. And and really, what this this suggests is that athlete, athletes could try and exploit the benefits of the estrogen levels during that follicular and ovulatory phases because those are when um, the phases during when estrogen is higher. So for example, they could think about completing their intense or strength training during these phases due to that anabolic effect of estrogen. Um, and maybe thinking about completing shorter and easier training during the luteal phase when there's um, more risk of water retention occurring. Um, Again, also thinking about your races, just being strategic around your races. If you want to get the most and the best performance, thinking about the races that you're that you're putting into the calendar and working it around your cycle. But this does mean that you need to monitor your cycle. Um, and if and if you do know your cycles, um, then you can ensure that your races fall during that follicular and ovulatory phases of the menstrual cycle. So there is a way of manipulating the cycle to your best, to, 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 to get the best um, running performance. Yeah, and it takes a bit of planning, but the more you um, are in tune and know what's going on, it will become like second nature, really. Mm -hmm. um, so, so some of the uh, ways that you might want to consider what you should do in each phase, if you think about that first phase, the follicular phase, so that's when you you know, your first day of your period and you're going through menstruation. Now, some women really don't suffer any symptoms at that time. And, and if that's the case, usually energy is quite high at that point. Um, so it's a, a great opportunity to be doing the high intensity tempo threshold runs, doing weights in the gym. But if you're a woman who is suffering from symptoms like heavy blood loss or pain, um, that would be the time to really prioritize rest and recovery. Now, this is an area, I think this is a phase where nutrition um, can really help, but it, it's not nutrition just in a day. It's what you need to do over a longer period of time to try to eliminate those symptoms so that you're one of the women who doesn't suffer from pain and doesn't suffer from heavy blood loss. Um, those kind of things can be resolved over a period of time and then thinking about the phase the next phase which we talked about which was this pre-ovulation again that's often a symptom-free time um, so that would be the time of the month to really you know get the most out of your running and maximize muscle building so maybe add in some weight training whilst the estrogen levels are high and then moving into the luteal phase um, you might want to think about um having your runs as the, the low intensity endurance runs and when you're in the gym focusing on technique and skill-based work rather than the heavy weights and then the final phase which as I said always seems back to front to me because this is where we get the premenstrual phase um, so this is when we've got these classic PMS symptoms that we talked about earlier and these are the ones that can be 
pretty disruptive to body and mind. You know, it can affect your um, mood. You might feel depressed, you might feel tearful, as well as the sort of other physical signs. Um, my, my advice there is be kind to yourself. Uh, just lighten your expectations. Run lightly. Don't worry about targets. Uh, add in some restorative uh, work like yoga and Pilates to help you relax. So you can see from that, you know, that if we apply the thought process around all of this, you can understand why we perform differently at different mm. times of the month, can't you? And it's um, it, it's sort of like lets you off the hook a bit so you don't have to beat yourself up exactly. at different points of the month if you're not running as fast <laughs> or as strong as other times in the month. Yeah, and how you can use the menstrual cycle in a positive way, to, to both for taking care of yourself, but also for your running performance. So so I think what you've come up with here, Aileen, is, is some really good strategies at each phase linked to, to, to training. Um, but what I just would stress here once again uh, is that the information out there is conflicting and not all studies have shown a change in performance during the different phases of the menstrual cycle. It is, you know, more research definitely needs to be completed in this in this um, area. But our suggestions really are based on our experience, our education, rather than all being from the research and also the work that we've done with our own our own clients. So um, there's a lot of different knowledge coming into to what we're we're sharing with everybody today. So, Aileen, just um, just to round up before we move on, um, we've we've outlined some of the potential performance effects of estrogen and progesterone levels throughout that menstrual cycle, and these include possible weight gain during the luteal phase. And this being as a result of the increased progesterone levels at that time, which may impact on performance. Um, the protein and glycogen sparing effects of estrogen during that follicular and the ovulation phases. And this could potentially lead to enhanced fat utilisation, which may support body composition. And then finally, just to remember that progesterone is thought to have anti-estrogenic effects. So keep training intensity low and be kind to yourself during that time. So Aileen, just before we move on um, to the next section, shall we just take an advert, advert break, break at the moment? Um, yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm just going to hand back to you to take us through the advert. <laughs> okay, so just uh, to remind you all, I'm sure you all know by now that um, the podcast is supported by Runners Health Hub, and that's where Karen and I offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, stronger runner. And um, I thought it would, was quite important to mention this today because one of the important cornerstones of hormonal health is balancing blood sugar, which is a key uh, part of the training that we uh, provide as part of Runners Health Hub. Um, so balancing your blood sugar might be the first vital step that you can take to implement um, your having a better hormonal balance and an optimal menstrual cycle. So if that's something that you're interested in, learning a little bit more and learning what you, you need to do, it's not difficult, it's quite simple, but there are some easy things that we can teach you that would make life a lot easier. Uh, we'd love you to take a look at Runners, the Runners Nutrition Zone, um, which hosts an online program, and it's it, program is called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. And a large part of that program is teaching you how to balance your blood sugar levels, um, what foods to choose, what portions to eat, when to eat um, to, to make that happen. Um, it's a video program. There's some short videos. There's some recipes and downloads. Um, and it's all there to help you put things into practice very easily. So if you are interested in that, um, take a look at it uh, at um, runnershealthhub.com. Look at the online program uh, tab. And, um, you know, we'd love to have you uh, join that program and learn alongside with us. And it might even be a great thing to do uh, during lockdown when we've all got a little bit more time. 
Sasha, we should move on, Karen. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for that, Aileen. So before we start to sort of think about the nutrition um, during the menstrual cycle, let's just take a quick look at the potential impact on performance of oral contraception pill or the pill as it's colloquially known. And because many, many women are on the pill. Um, And again, regarding this data is limited, but there is some research out there. So let's have a quick look at that, shall we? Yes. Yeah. And uh, there are obviously many different varieties of the pill um, and they come under the umbrella term of um, hormonal contraceptives. Um, I I guess um, you'd probably agree that the combined pill is the most popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the pill that contains both estrogen and progesterone. And these pill, the pill basically works by confusing the menstrual cycle through altering the internal hormonal environment, um, which is really down-regulating the production of natural estrogen and progesterone. Yeah, that's right, Aileen. If we were to take that oral, that the combined oral contraceptive pill as an example, it follows a definite two-phase, twenty-eight-day um, regimen. So, so basically, women would take the pill for twenty-one days, and at this point, um, it downregulates, like you say, downregulates the endogenous. So that's the internal estrogen and progesterone, but then provides this external estrogen and progestin which is a form of progesterone then after the 21 days there is um, a seven day withdrawal period where there's a slight rise in the internal estrogen and progesterone and clearly there's none of the external estrogen um, and progestin coming in so that's the two-phase cycle of um, the contraception. Okay, so thinking about um, the different profiles, there's sort of different ovarian hormonal profiles between pill users and non-users, and that makes it sort of two distinct groups of women. Um, So looking at the performance effects of both, um, you know, that I imagine that would be very different, Karen, when it comes to research. Yes, it is. It is um, really different. And I think this suggests that that most resets needs to be focused on these two groups, comparing these two groups. So the the non-pill takers and the pill takers. Um, And again, it's very, very scarce. But there was one study that I read that had compared the two um, groups. And it suggested that the the group taking the pill, um, they, they tended to have less physical and emotional um, side effects than the non-users. Although this study, it did go on to say that um, it said it itself that it needs further investigation. Now, remember, these studies are ones looking at exercise um Um, and hormonal contraception and performance. You know, there are possibly lots of other studies out there that are looking at non-athlete individuals um, where comparisons have been made regarding the side effects of the pill between users and non-users, but not looking at it um, with a with a, a an athletic cohort so just bear that in in mind and i think it's also important to remind everybody here that um that the the with people who are taking the pill that withdrawal withdrawal bleed in those seven days when the pill isn't taken is exactly that it it is a withdrawal bleed it's not a natural period and people seem to be a lot of people appear to be quite confused about that so it's really not a marker of reproductive health um which it's uh, by the research it's commonly believed by many women that it is a, a sign that that their um, fertility is healthy but that's not necessarily the case if that makes sense Aileen. Yeah yeah it does so thinking about the performance effects of the pill Karen what we're basically saying from the research that you've read is that it's thought there are a lot less emotional and physical side effects um, from the pill takers which could in theory enhance performance um, although there's more studies need to be undertaken to confirm this. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly mm. right. But but there are some other studies that suggest it that, that the pill might actually be detrimental to performance. So there are some studies that have suggested that the use of the combined pill, and again, looking at it, um, the combined pill being used by athletes is associated with um, potential elevation of um, low-grade inflammation. And mm. then they just found raised markers for oxidative stress. So and these two could potentially increase the risk of injury, illness, um, poor recovery for a runner and potentially um, reducing overall performance. So it is really, really conflicting. Mm, yeah, which again, it just sort of goes to show it's the, it's the, the symptoms and how it affects our um, quality of life that is the thing that's affecting our performance really isn't it and if we can get to the root of those symptoms and resolve them then life could be a lot better and performance could be more even um, throughout the month yeah okay so lots of information Karen um and obviously it's an area where uh there's there's more to more to find out um and lots of questions still under uh, unanswered and requiring investigation um, but I think in conclusion, uh, you know, what we're saying today is at the moment, uh, there aren't any definitive guidelines, um, but we really feel it's about listening to your body and maintaining optimal nutritional habits. And and for, for us as nutritional therapists, it's, it's really still focusing on individualized and personalized nutrition for each of our clients, depending on the symptoms they present with, um, which is the way we work anyway. So, um I suppose that's quite good news. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. It is. It is, and I totally agree with with what you're saying. And it it just sort of suggests that the way we work with our clients um, currently is the, is the correct way to be working with them until there are additional guidelines and more investigations done on this subject. And um, and sort of speaking about nutrition, shall we move on and discuss this in a bit of detail now, Aileen? Yeah, let's have a look at nutrition and um, how you can use nutrition throughout the menstrual cycle. Um, And I think the overarching approach is to aim for hormonal balance. Um, And it's really important to to stress here that the fluctuations in hormones throughout the menstrual cycle are natural and necessary um, to obtain optimal fertility. Uh, fertility and and that's really what you were saying earlier on Karen about it is natural it is necessary don't try to stop it but let's try to get it in balance so that it's an it's a an acceptable part of our lives really um so it's not about trying to alter the natural cycle to optimize performance it's about keeping hormones in balance to prevent any of the hormonal conditions that we've mentioned earlier um yeah that's that's well where we are, I think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Erlene. Um, I, I would agree with that. And, and again, from from the research that I have read, there's no current guidelines on nutrition to support the female athlete group throughout the menstrual cycle, really. So um, our approach really would need to be, like you say, about optimising the hormone balance alongside the need to ensure energy availability is balanced as well, as we mentioned earlier. That's a really key aspect of this um, because again that chronic low energy availability is well known to lead to that menstrual dysregulation eventually resulting in um, amenorrhea if it's not addressed in that amenorrhea being the the cessation of periods completely that we mentioned earlier and this is a key symptom of the female athlete triad and the relative energy deficiency in sport which you briefly mentioned earlier as well Aileen and people can read more about um, and listen to um, in episode six um, and, and these two sort of FAT and um, REDS are conditions that are very detrimental to sports per- performance, but also overall health. So um, definitely not a place that, uh, that we want an individual to be heading. OK, that's uh, that's good just to put that into our mind when we're talking about all of this, Karen. Yeah. Um, so we, we've discussed the positive effects of healthy estrogen levels and um it, you know what i need to stress here is healthy levels of estrogen um really <laughs> we've got to think about them as being in the healthy zone because sometimes the menstrual cycle 
dysregulation can cause something called estrogen dominance. And it's the dominance of estrogen that's been extensively researched and linked to many fertility issues, including fibroids and endometriitis um, and, and endometriosis rather, and, and many uh, other female specific um, cancers. Um, so it is something that we need to um, be, be conscious of that we're looking at healthy levels of, of estrogen. Um, so from a nutritional point of view, um, one of the things that um, we can do is to include phytoestrogenic foods in the in the diet so that they're plant estrogen so they come from plant foods so the kinds of foods that we're thinking about uh, would be things like flaxseed parsley celery legumes such as chickpea and lentils alfalfa sprouts mung bean sprouts and then various different soybean products like edanami tofu and tempeh yeah, there are some really good and and varied foods out there to sort of help that balance of of estrogen. And it's interesting, Aileen, because some people may be wondering why are we recommending plant estrogens when discussing an estrogen dominant status anyway? But but these plant estrogens have a weak estrogenic effect, and and basically what they do is they compete with the internal estrogen for the different receptors on cells. So simply what they're going to do is um, they, they, they can reduce the amount of the internal um, high strength estrogen from entering the cells um, by, by latching on to these cell receptors so that the overall estrogenic effects will be re- reduced. Does that make sense, Aileen? Yeah, that's really clear. So what we're saying is that these phytoestrogenic foods are helping to regulate our estrogen balance. um, And that's the reason to include them on a day to day basis. Uh, that's what I would say, add them in every day, small amounts every day regularly is going to really help. Um, are there any other foods that you'd recommend, Karen? Yes, there are actually, Aileen. And again, this is, is still thinking about balancing um, estrogen levels. And, and and like you're saying, having these foods on a on a regular basis, on a daily, small amounts on a daily basis. And the, the the, the area I'm thinking of here are the cruciferous vegetables. So those are the vegetables like cabbage and kale, cauliflower, um, broccoli. And they're um, known to, to support the, the balance of the estrogen levels by increasing the rate at which um, the estrogen is metabolized and then excreted from the body. So they support that excretion rather than recirculation of estrogen. So really mm. quite important uh, little vegetables. They are. And again, you know, I think having two to three portions a day would be recommended, um, you know, either as a vegetable side dish or maybe in soups or salads, you know, in whatever way you can get them. It would be really helpful to uh, focus on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I was thinking, Karen, when you were talking there is is just to um, mention that when estrogen is dominant, it's generally to the detriment of progesterone. So often, uh, levels are, are lower when that happens. Um, and research suggests that whilst progesterone doesn't really have any exercise performance benefits, it, we really need it to be in balance for overall health and fertility. Um, so if there is an estrogen dominant situation, it's also important to encourage progesterone production alongside. Um, so the, the foods that we'd recommend in that instance would be uh, looking at um, seeds and, and seed oils. So things like flaxseed, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, um, avocado, asparagus are all, all very good. Um, and these um, contain com- compounds known as plant sterols, um, as well as vitamin D, uh, vitamin E. Uh, and both are thought to encourage the, the release of progesterone. Um, so all of these um, things would, again, add them in regularly. Um, so a simple way, the flaxseed, a simple way I, I would use that. I've always got a pack in the fridge and um, the ground flaxseed I would just uh, sprinkle into porridge or yogurt or, you know, even on top of a salad. So to have something like that every day is going to be really positive and helpful. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And I think we could probably discuss this for a lot longer and go into lots of different nutrients and, and foods. But I am conscious of time and I think we need to move on. But but just before we do go, I just wanted to give a, a, a bit of a shout out to iron here because, as we know, it is really key to energy production, so vital for a runner. And um, and for many women, uh, they do suffer from, from heavy bleeding um so then this would be a nutrient that would really need to be considered especially during those first seven days of of menses so during that bleeding period and and again we do discuss this in in detail in episode 25 titled iron women so i would really recommend that anybody who maybe um does suffer from really heavy periods and and um a lot of blood loss to maybe go and 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 listen to that um episode again if you've already listened to it but but if you haven't then go and listen to it but but just to finish off really a few food ideas to think about considering to to encourage um uh, more iron uptake is uh, definitely red meat especially liver um, clearly that's not going to be appropriate for everybody but other foods that contain iron include the legumes so the, that's the um, the pulses the beans the lentils also whole grains so thinking about brown rice quinoa millet um, green vegetables and including uh, spinach as most of us know it contains the um, contains iron but also um, kale cabbage watercress etc um, and also some dried fruits thinking about apricots and prunes here they're they're known to um contain iron some iron and also blackstrap molasses um is another another option so just a few ideas to finish with Aileen great that's really helpful to um to remember about iron I think uh, particularly in that first few days of the cycle um so just to round up Karen the, so the key message is sex hormone balance is what we're aiming for and some of the foods that we've discussed to support this include the phytoestrogenic foods. So, for example, the flaxseed legumes, parsley, um, also thinking about adding in foods that promote progesterone. So seeds and the oils, avocados and asparagus. And remembering about iron, which can be found in abundance in liver, other red meats and lower amounts in plant sources such as green vegetables, dried fruits whole grains and legumes um so lots of different food ideas to um to help us and you know there's so much that we could talk about here as i said earlier this is just an overview so we'll we'll definitely um talk about this in in future episodes and drill down and give you a bit more information um but just to round up karen i I know there's going to be a lot of takeaways today so (laughs) can you fire away with the, the key takeaways from today's conversation Yes, I will do, and I'll try and do it as efficiently as I can, Aileen. So my key takeaways, I think, from today's discussion would be that um, a normal menstrual cycle, an optimal one, is going to be 28 days, but but it can vary between 21 and 35 days as a cycle, and may vary. And this cycle varies between women, but also within one one individual. So one month it could be 21 days, the next month it could be 28 days. So it's very variable. Um, It is recommended that women start to become self-aware of their own cycles so that they can really understand the changes in physical and emotional well-being that may occur throughout their cycle and how that links in to their exercise performance. Uh, The potential performance benefits associated with with the menstrual cycle do appear to be linked to estrogen and not from progesterone. And thinking about the oral contraceptive pill, um, it tends to standardise the menstrual cycle to 28 days. However, remember that the withdrawal bleed is not an indicator of fertility health. I just want to stress here that data is conflicting regarding the effects of oral contraception on exercise performance. 
um, and looking at things from a nutritional point of view, hormonal balance is really what we need to be aiming for. And remember that the fluctuation in your hormones during the menstrual cycle are natural and they are necessary for that reproductive health. Um, thinking about the foods again, phytoestrogens from certain plant foods are known to support estrogen balance. So we're thinking about foods including flaxseed, chickpeas, lentils and soybean. Progesterone production is uh, known to be encouraged by foods including seeds, but also the, the seed oils, avocado and asparagus. And I think my final takeaway take would be to remember that the studies into this subject are limited on some of them are actually quite old. And as a result, there aren't any definitive guidelines on the menstrual cycle and its impact on exercise performance at the moment. So a personalised nutrition plan to support optimal hormone balance throughout the cycle really is the current best approach. And that is something that Aileen and I can help you with at Runners Health Hub. So if it's something that um, you're really interested in, would like to learn more about and would actually like to introduce into your nutrition plan, then do get in touch with us um, and have a conversation and we can support you. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Karen. That was a really uh, fabulous conversation. Uh, We hope that we've answered Lillian's questions. And uh, if any of you have got any other uh, questions or areas um, of interest that you want us to explore uh, within this realm, do let us know. And remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialling wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.